I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals and including Amazing Fantasy 15, which counts above everything else, except, you know, the annuals, they don't count. I just want to put that out there. But Amazing Fantasy 15, that counts so good. So, so good. I'm trying to find some situation where I can buy something that you would count more than Amazing Fantasy 15. And I think the only way I could do that is like to find like Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's like original script <laughs> that they traded between each other. Like that's my only hope. But anyway, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan. I, like Mark, collected every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which at the time I said counted so as to beat Mark in his chase. But alas, for me, Amazing Fantasy 15 remains a fantasy. And Mark, you're the new victor. You get to open the show. I, it's, it is what has made this victory all the more sweet, I would say. Like getting to open the show after 10 years, all for spending a chunk of money on a comic. I mean, who's the, who's the genius, Dan? Anyway. No, here, here's my genius move. And you too, listener, can open the show if you buy me an Amazing <laughs> Fantasy 15. All right, that's how I'm going to do it. Wow. Anyway, welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. Uh, if podcasts and, you know, the new media thing aren't really your jam, you should check us out on Substack, amazingspider.substack.com. That's right. It's a written thing. Words on a page, except it's a digital page. So it's kind of new media. I don't know. Anyway, Substack, we're going to be talking about the tie-in issues to the gang war storyline and many, many other things. Check it out. Subscribe. Still subscribe to the podcast, too. Just subscribe to everything with our name on it. That's what we want you to do. It's just like comics. It's both old and new media somehow. Well, I guess digital comics have kind of like really fallen off, but that's a whole other conversation. Speaking of which, this podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and help keep our podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon. 
Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 6, number 39. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The cover and interior artwork is by John Romita Jr., Scott Hanna, and Marcio Menez. And of course, letters are provided by VC's Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on December 6th, 2023. Mark, why don't you recap the first part of this big gang war event? I'd be happy to, Dan. We open six hours after First Strike, and New York City is under siege. A couple is trying to duck the carnage when the Ringmaster appears before them and uses his hypnotic hat to brainwash them into grabbing weapons and joining his army. We reveal that the Ringmaster's gang is opening fire on the Crime Master and AIM. Crime Master doesn't understand why his gun doesn't shoot bullets, and the AIM drone tells him it's an Imagine Ray, and he has to think what he has to shoot. And that Imagine Rays don't do bullets. Yeah, I hate when that happens too. Finally, Spider-Man and his army, She-Hulk, Miles Morales, Elektra, and Spider-Woman show up to the scene. She-Hulk is instructed to go tank, and when the gang's out, the guns are out? Eh, that didn't really work. Anyway, She-Hulk is swinging, and Spider-Man warns his teammates to be careful with civilians, but Elektra is already moving fast to take down AIM, and Gentle is off the menu. Miles gets out his Venom Saber, and now I know what that means, so you can stop rubbing it in, Marvel and Dan, okay? I get it. He's got a sword now. Cool. Anyway, Ringmaster tries to hypnotize Elektra, and even I know that's an idiotic move, so Elektra takes him out while Spider-Man and Spider-Woman neutralize Crime Master. Afterwards, Spidey calls it in to Mayor Cage, who informs him that things are busy down at Gracie Mansion, so the gang splits up. Electra goes to Hell's Kitchen, Spider-Woman heads off downtown to take out Diamondback and Hydra, Miles goes to Brooklyn to take on the Hobgoblin, and that leaves Spider-Man to team up with the other person who doesn't have a tie-in book, She-Hulk. That brings <laughs> us over to Harlem, where Black Mariah is looking to take out White Rabbit and Kareem, oh sweet Kareem, but not before Janice Lincoln shows up in costume with some members of her sinister syndicate. Janice picks Mariah up and drops her from a considerable height but doesn't kill her. And speaking of that, how did they survive that club? Robbie is sitting by Randy Robertson's side and lets him know that he has to fight back. If not for him, then for his mother, who has been conveniently off page for her entire existence. I did not write that. Dan did. Good job, Dan. A voice from the other side of the curtain speaks up and Tombstone is alive and kicking. Robbie goes hard after his old nemesis, asking why the dirtbags always end up okay in situations like this before the two reference some old Spider-Man stories to each other, those old Jerry Conway stories, but Robbie doesn't have time for that and fills Tombstone in on what's going down and reminds Tombstone that he is going to need some pants. Robbie tells him to get his own damn pants and yeah, I hate it when that happens too. Anyway, before we resolve Pantsgate, we're back to Spider-Man and She-Hulk and they're taking on the monster metropolis in Murray Hill. And yeah, I have no idea who these characters are, Dan. Sorry, you can't shame me about this one, I think. Maybe. I don't know. Are these like, whatever. Peter and Jen argue about whether or not Spidey is standing behind her before they start throwing hands or tentacles or whatever the appendages in question happen to be. Meanwhile, Shotgun is watching from a rooftop when a voice comes over the intercom letting him know to let the heroes tire themselves out because he's needed in Midtown. Back in Harlem, Janice is strategizing with White Rabbit and wants to take over Sugar Hill 
which is Diamondback territory. White Rabbit warns her that Diamondback is an old ally of her father's, and just after Janice shrugs her shoulders, Tombstone shows up and the two share a moment. Janice fills her father in on the gang war and lets him know that she wants all of Harlem. He tells her that's too big an area to, de to defend and to back down, but she stands up to him and asks him that if she goes against his wishes, is he gonna put down his own daughter like he does all the, his other opposition? Well, Tombstone says no, so that sets Janice off, and he tells White Rabbit to take care of her. Meanwhile, Madame Mask, in full mask, is still hanging out with, the hammer, with Hammerhead's very bloody but not quite dead body. He's only mostly dead. She drags Hammerhead around a bit, long enough for him to remind her that uh, he's a made man and that people will come after her. Mask is unfazed and drags him to the sub-basement with what appears to be Silvermane and Count Nefaria. And that brings us back over to Spidey and She-Hulk, who are calling it in to Mayor Cage that Murray Hill has been neutralized. The two keep bickering, but Tombstone spoils the party, saying he's not here to make trouble. He just wants to team up with Spider-Man again again to take down some crime bosses and that is amazing spider-man number 39 dan let's talk about it well two things really quickly i'm i'm really glad that spider-man said tank to she hulk and not twerk because i wasn't about to go through that round of the internet <laughs> again also yes monster metropolis is from a punisher series i believe from 2009 and frankly, I read this and had already forgotten about it and had to look it up. So I'm not going to hold that one over you. It's just like it's apparently the, is a, this the Frankencastle stuff or is that something else? I mean, I believe it's the Frankencastle stuff and it is a like mirror metropolis underground, like, you know, one of the many mirror metropolises that are underground that are populated by monsters. I think we've got what there was one that was interested or interest introduced in Tom Taylor's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man a couple of years ago. I mean, it's like every other year we got a new metropolis under metropolis and someday we'll get like enter the metropolis verse. So, you know, that's got many faces to it. The gang wars got many faces to it. I think we really dug first strike and now we're get seeing some of the ripple effects of everything that happened there you know one of these things like these gang wars tend to get very complicated very quickly maybe overwhelm the reader and you get a little bit lost in them what did you think of the scope and scale of this gang war and how it's being rolled out i want to note on the onset like you know while this issue didn't like i think have like the emotional stakes that I thought this did a really good job in terms of like laying out a lot of the different elements. I mean, like this, this issue, frankly, was just a lot of fun. It's, it's really action heavy while still kind of moving things forward and, and introducing some of these little complex things, especially some of like the, the, the Lincoln family drama and the Adam mask and hammerhead stuff. Like I said, it, it was progressing the story without getting too bogged down in feeling like it needed to be exposition heavy. You know, like it just felt like part of the action, kind of how they how Zeb interwove this. Is there potential for this thing to kind of get off the rails and get bogged down? I mean, yeah, I think it's I think that potential still exists. But I think for a, a first issue, like a first true issue, like past the, the, the alpha issue, if you will, this does a good job of just kind of 
you know, moving the pieces on the board forward and and kind of introducing who all of the main players are going to be, but not in a way where I felt like it was truly just overwhelming and bogged down. What about you, Dan? My greatest fear about any like Spider-Man event that has a bunch of other books that are coming out of it is that Amazing Spider-Man suffers the most because it's got to be the like titular event. You know, it's got to cover everything broadly and you know as much as we like spider island it definitely had moments where it's like hey we got to give like a page or two check-in with what's going on in those other books and we haven't gotten into the bulk of this yet but honestly i think the best thing this book does is establish the team and then just say they're all going to go on their own separate adventures and then the book doesn't feel any need to like check in with them again. It's just like, okay, cool. They're all going their own way. And that's kind of the attitude of the characters, frankly, like miles kind of says it to Peter, like, Hey man, I'm doing just fine on my own. Like I'm going to go take on Roderick Kingsley on my own, you know, which is fairly bold given the lineage of that villain. That makes me, you know, feel really optimistic about how this title is going to be managed from like an overhead point of view, especially since it's like they were giving each of them a neighborhood that they're engaged with and involved in that feels natural to them. Like, of course, Daredevil is going to go to Hell's Kitchen and Miles is going to go to Brooklyn and et cetera. Not to mention that we don't even ocean. I, I teased last episode that we were going to do an Ocean's Eleven and get the team together. We don't even bother with that here. It's just like, nope, Spider-Man's got a history with like all these characters. Why do we need to establish it? They're just a team. They care about their city and go. And, you know, that would probably would have been a fun sequence of rounding them up. But like, why waste pages on it? Let's just get right into it. We all know how they got there. I found all of that, frankly, very refreshing. And so like in the page count of this, I know it's a bigger book. We get like sequences with characters. We rarely check in and, and by characters, I mean the citizens of New York. I thought what a great idea to start with that couple being brought into the ringmaster because terrifying, like being recruited into a gang that you don't even know you're being recruited into and being asked to fire a weapon. Like I thought it immediately established the stakes and I was I was in. I was hooked. It was good in in good in multiple ways because yeah, it's it definitely kind of established stakes and terror, but it was also kind of on its face absurd. Especially when you had like Crime Master on the other side, like with the Imagine Ray, and it's like, what do you mean this doesn't shoot bullets? No, think like acid, and and, and, and like it it was high drama, but also high comedy at the same time, which I think kind of made it work even better because like, you know, at the end of the day, this is still just, it's comics and I'm not trying to belittle it, but like, you know, the crime, not the crime master, the, well, God, what's his name? Uh, the ringmaster. <laughs> ringmaster. Thank you. I mean, you know, like ringmaster. We got the two masters going at I each know, other. I know. Yeah. Master versus master. But I was going to say ringmaster, I mean, is far and away one of the more ridiculous Marvel villains out there. And so it, 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 it you know, it, it elevates him in a way while still being kind of, you know, while still openly acknowledging that this is all kind of silly, too. So I I, I, I liked it because, yeah, like you said, it, it establishes stakes and it kind of brings in like, you know, like there was that one page where you kind of just see like the bullets flying in both directions and presumably innocent civilians getting caught in the crossfire. And you're like, oh, God, that's bad. But then you know, you're kind of getting a chuckle out of it at the same time. So 
it, it, you know, it's not all just like dour and sad and terrible, you know? So anyway. Yeah. Well, speaking of that particular image, I mean, we're going to talk about JRJR's work in this book in a little bit, but like uh, the way that he has kind of clouded this city in people everywhere and smoke filling it. I was immediately sold on like, Oh my gosh, this is devastating for New York. You know, now you could ask your questions like, well, where the heck are the Avengers? Yada, 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 that you kind of have to look aside for most superhero comics in the Marvel universe or DC universe. But like, I was really sold on the threat to the city immediately by that. Again, getting back to the like helicopter view of this, I thought it was really smart that like one this is a Spider-Man book, right? Spider-Man is in the lead role and that is communicated by him talking to Luke Cage as mayor. And I thought like putting him in that position, one foreground Spider-Man in a leadership position, which like heaven forbid Spider-Man be shown to be like a capable hero. And I think Wells has done a really good job of keeping that consistent in his run. And this is another example of that putting Luke Cage and making him essentially the guy in the chair for Spider-Man and who can provide this kind of like citywide assessment. I thought was a really smart way. And I hope it continues so that like, that's like a constant beat on what is your current goal? What what's happening in the gang war? And I I think that really like allows for Spider-Man to take on a leadership role. And I thought that was really cool. Like you said, it was just kind of refreshing in these events to see Spider-Man, you know, not being played a fool. You know, there's some things with the interaction with She-Hulk, which we're going to get to very shortly, that were kind of, you know, a little a little silly. But like, I, I think overall, yeah, I, I like I like that he's he's being assertive. He this is you know, this is his fight. It also just kind of pays off the mea culpa moment that he had in first strike where, you know, he was just kind of like having his come to Jesus moment about like, Oh man, I've really, I've really let things slide. So, you know, like, Hey, growth character, character progression guys, you know, like don't, don't say you don't see it. Anyway, do you want to talk a little bit about the, 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 the Spidey she Hulk pairing? Uh, did, did you have any initial thoughts about this? Well, you made a joke about how She-Hulk is the only one who doesn't have a B title, and yet here she is on the team. I have to imagine that could be because Zeb worked on the She-Hulk show for the MCU, and so feels some fondness for the character. And I, I thought her voice shined through here, even if it's just a bunch of like lawyer jokes. I thought the humor was appropriately placed here. There's a little bit of levity, but it doesn't like lean into it in the way that I... like think someone like Dan Slott would in making everybody jokey in a way that might undermine the threat. Like here, Spider-Man is jokey, you know, in, in just the smallest amount. And while like giving orders and, and being smart in, in other ways. And I, I thought it, like the jokes didn't undermine the violence. They like allowed me to breathe a little bit and enjoy an action sequence you know, which which is, you know, you, you jump from one action sequence where it's a bunch of civilians in harm to one with them punching a bunch of monsters. And the monsters is the one you let them be silly during. And, and I thought it was appropriate. I, I thought those pages were really fun to read. I will admit I got like a little kind of burned out by like the, the constant like I think it wasn't I think 
at the time the joke about like are you behind me was kind of was was enjoyable but like when it kind of like boomeranged back when they're like they're on the the intercom with Luke Cage and she's like tell him how you were behind me I was like okay the, the joke's over you know what I mean like I I I definitely had a moment with that uh, but yeah I mean it, it's I I also think like putting aside any personal feelings the creators might have for certain characters like it, 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 having a character like She Hulk involved on this level makes sense because like, you know, you, you asked earlier, like, where are the Avengers or whoever, but like, you know, She-Hulk can kind of come in as a heavyweight to, to help, you know, even the score, if you will. But like, she's, I think just given, you know, in terms of her current status in the Marvel universe, she's not enough of a, of a a lister, if you will, to, to like really kind of like throw off the, well, why, why is she here, but not someone else? You know what I mean? Like why, why, why her and not Iron Man or something like that? So like, it's a good way to get someone, you know, get some hired muscle in, you know, tank tanks out there. There is a part of me that was like, I, I, I kind of like, why, why not give her a book in this? <laughs> but but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> well, her her book is really excellent right now, so I, I will shout that out. I think it's one of the best books Marvel is putting out at the moment, and maybe they didn't want to interrupt it, although I can't imagine that it would be good to get her some more attention. As for the second joke with them on the phone with Luke Cage and her kind of bragging her numbers up, and, and I thought it was clever in a way of kind of saying like, hey, Spider-Man's going to have this leadership role, but let's not forget he's still like this like down on his luck, you know, like it's still Peter Parker. He's not on top of everything, but also like if you've read she Hulk's book, she and her friends, and I think Luke Cage is part of it, have a fight club that they engage in with each other. And so it made total sense to me that she would want to brag to Luke Cage about like how big her numbers were in the fight because they actively engage in that. Now I'm bringing stuff from another series in, but like, you know, to me, it felt very in character for the for for the joke to continue in such a way for She-Hulk. Either way, I, I thought these pages were really fun. And, you know, contributing to that is J.R.J.R., who I think we like begged to return. You know, we, we've gotten great stuff from Gleason and Joey Vasquez's stuff was strong in its own right. But like the wrong tone to me, J.R.J.R. nailed the tone here. You know, whether it's them fighting those monsters that seem to be made of taffy and stretch all around the screen in the same way that like the all the Rabin stuff and the Quetzalcoatl and all that were like kind of like spongy and stretchy. I, I, I love seeing him play with that textural, you know, uh, uh, stuff on the page. You know, I just thought he there was some wonderful scale here uh, that Jr. was able to convey, and it's not all perfect, but like I think if we're gonna get six issues like this, it's like oh yeah, let the guy cook. You know, like good thing we gave him time off to deliver on this story. Oh, for sure, and you know, like you you you, you were talking about like you know the use of smoke earlier you know maybe maybe howard mackie needs to update his uh analysis of jrjr's art from like rain to smoke because like it just works so well and and is you know in the pastiche here what else can you say about john ramito jr at this point you know there was a reason why in our first strike review we were like yeah this is fine but what it really needs is john ramito jr and you know that's, <laughs> it, 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 like 
you know, repeat that ad infinitum for the history of Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, 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 or certainly a story like this. I think like he he does, you know, he's not afraid to, you know, like you say, both play with like textures and form and and whatnot with certain characters, and also like he's just also not afraid to like really pack in a lot of detail and and busyness into his spreads you know like he he manages to pack a lot in terms of like characters and backgrounds and and whatnot while still i feel like keeping things moving and not making it seem like it's just like a, a, a pose party for a bunch of different characters you know like 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 you would get from some certain 90s artists where it was like are we like you know looking at trading cards or, or comic book. I mean, you know, like, like JRJR keeps it moving. It keeps it dynamic. It feels fluid. It feels dynamic, but it's also like, wow, like look at all this crap he packed on a page. And I say crap in a, in a very endearing way here. I feel like we got some of like kick-ass John Romina Jr. Again in here with the hammerhead sequence is just especially brutal. And I think he worked really well. I mean, first of all, like, we mentioned the smoke, but like so much of that is Menez adding like color and volume to the smoke to give it like, you know, actual like just so the page isn't flat, like a, a not great colorist would not have been able to render these pages to be as exciting as they are. And I don't know if you saw on, on Twitter or, or threads or whatever platform you're on that Menez and Ramita Jr. met for the first time this past week. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah, well, these are two people that have never skipped Arm Day. Like, I think between the two of them, they could take on the world. But that was that was funny to see. It's clear they really enjoy working with each other. And how could you not? I think Menez is certainly, like, if not unrivaled, certainly close unrivaled color talent at Marvel right now. And Joe Caramagna with the, like, stretched letters during the bloody sequences. I mean... Everybody here is doing their 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 job uh, to the top of their game. The only ding I'd have is I think Ramita still suffers. Look, he's an amazing like actors actor on the page, but those sometimes faces on women and children. It's just like his She Hulk, like her head extends back into her hair in ways <laughs> that like are deeply inhuman, and her face is scrunched and. I think we can, when we first saw the cover of this issue, everybody was kind of like, ooh, some of those faces are a little cringe. And I think this is one of the weaker covers that he's had on on this run thus far. Yeah, um, I, I, I will say I, I, I picked up a couple of variants, including the Ryan Stegman variant. And like that Stegman cover is like, woof. I, you know, I, I is that the teaser uh, trailer yeah, that they, yeah. they they did? Is it a wraparound? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a it's it's a beautiful cover. So I didn't it, see that one. My shop didn't have it, but that's okay. a nice image. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. OK. Uh, do we want to uh, talk about like some other ways people can connect with us, Dan? Yeah, come join our gang. Mark, tell us how the initiation works. Well, you know, it starts by uh, being one of hundreds of listeners like you who hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on the Slack. It's a it's an app and stuff. I don't know. Dan tries to convince me to join. I come on every like couple of weeks and say things and then disappear. Anyway, the amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join. And you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, what can people find going on in the Slack this current week? Oh, so much, Mark. Um, everybody's having a great time on the Slack. You know, mostly just talking about the gang war. I mean... 
like everybody's just excited to to jump in and share their thoughts and theories and root for different people in the gang war um <laughs> you know and 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 I, we've even put i've been pushing people back to some of your recommendations about various other gang wars that have happened in the pages and I think we're all just kind of optimistic about where this one's going to go. So again, if you're if you're having fun listening to us talk about the gang war or you want to join in on our gang war discussions, you know, or just join our gang, come join us in the amazing Spider Slack. There's a link in the description to this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. Just give it a name, hop on in, say hello. You'll be welcome to the family. And I will just say, Dan, if people think that they're going to get me to engage by just like leaving me like little tagged bombs where they make fun of the Mets. I mean, it does kind of work because like I've noticed it works. I think it works. I don't like that. So like, you know, you want to engage me, like call me out, be like, hey, your opinion about the blah, blah gang story. That stunk, Janakio. Then then I'll be like, all right, all right, let's talk about it. Let's 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 slack it out. But, you know, instead, it's just like, oh, you know, uh, Pete Alonzo is an overrated hitter and I'm just like, I don't want to hear it. Like I'm here to talk comics, not the Mets. Okay. You know, let me, let me, let me, I mean, let me... look, if it's not the Mets, maybe we can change it into like making fun of you about the Venom Saber. Okay. That works. Or like no prizes, you know, like we, we, there's many things, other things, Spider-Man related that you can make fun of me for. Speaking of the Venom Saber, I, I don't think that, uh, JRJR remembered that Miles had a Venom Saber. There's a couple poses in this where it definitely seems like Menyes came in and like added, was asked to add the Venom Saber in because they're like completely uninked and Miles's pose does not reflect that he's holding a blade. So like, I, I think, oh, you know, you old school Miles Morales fans who maybe aren't up to date on the current run, you know, like can be a little forgiving. Maybe, for maybe it is an Italian guy from Long Island thing, but like, yeah, oh, Jared, that's entirely Jared, possible. Jared and I are, we're, we're simpatico. Just as I, just your, as your I venom saber blindness yeah, is, is, yeah, is, is you in know. the water in Long Island. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get some good Sunday gravy. All right. As we, as we, uh, <laughs> sit on the LIE. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about issue 39. No better thing to talk about than everything involving Tombstone, Janice, and their gang up in Harlem. What do you think of all this? I mean, this, to me, seems like the heart of, of this comic and this gang war is going to be around everything like swirling around tombstone and his daughter Janice. Yeah. I mean, I gotta be honest and I don't know how you feel about this, Dan, but like, I was actually kind of surprised that they, they kind of brought tombstone back into the game as quickly as they did here. Like I, I honestly thought maybe they would kind of let Janice be on her own a little longer so that when he does kind of, I mean, I knew he wasn't going to die, but like, I kind of figured like once he, once he came back, more would have happened in that regard. And, you know, so it did kind of bring an interesting dynamic where, you know, at one end, I think this story marked a very significant change in Janice's characterization and kind of how she's kind of grown into this, you know, into the family business, if you will. It's not like the gang war has been going on for weeks and months and, and you know, she's been 
fending off on her own. I mean, like there was a part of me that I, part of me where I was like, Tombstone still could have just kind of like been like, okay, that's that's cute, kid. Go go back to you know go back. <laughs> like you've been doing this for like six hours, all right. So go away now. But I I don't know. Like did you did you have any kind of reaction to that? Did were you surprised by that or or did you did it not really bother you? I see your point a hundred percent. I mean, I, 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 it didn't bother me, especially if there is a lot more heart to this story yet to come. Like I, I can't really say about the pacing, like my, like, but by the end of this issue with tombstone, you know, ostensibly going to team up with Spider-Man, it does seem like they're not just going to bring him back to have him wait on the sideline and, and burn story. Like, it seems like this is a prominent one. And I, like, yeah, maybe it's not totally earned because it's a little early for, you know, her to be told off or to to suspect that she wants to run her own thing. You know, I think a lot has happened to her over the past few issues. And so I'm I'm willing to 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 buy into her being a little more grizzled than perhaps page count suggests. I don't know if it's issue two of this run the moment where Lonnie like comes to her and says like, Hey, I'm going to have to get back into the business. And he's like going to break his teeth, you know, and resharpen them. And he tells her like, you know, I've shielded you from this. Like, and I, that's my intent to continue doing so unless you want to get involved. And she turns away from him and is basically like accepted that he has a life that she doesn't know it, everything about because it's so brutal. And here it's the exact opposite. Like it's definitely an intentional inversion of that scene to show that like Janice is like kind of giving him the opt out at which he kind of takes. It suggests a really dark path, you know, for Janice is is about to come. And I thought this was a really satisfying, like continuation of that thread. Uh, Zeb is not wasting a moment here. And I, I, I thought that was like fairly, striking and it makes me really worry especially with like Robbie's warning to Tombstone that like he almost lost his son and and Tombstone could lose his daughter as a result of this gang war it makes me think the Lincoln family is not coming out of this unscathed for my earlier criticism about like you know the the stakes involved in terms in terms of Janice and, and Lonnie like at the same time like having that like final reveal of tombstone kind of showing up and being like, Hey Spidey, we're, we're hanging out again, whether you like it or not. Like it was, it was, it was a great moment. Like I, I definitely like, I, I don't know if I would define it as a, a patented Mark fist pump moment, but it was like, all right. Like, you know, like I, 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 first of all, like give much respect to the fact that, I mean, like we, we loved that first tombstone story that Zeb Wells did uh, at the very beginning of this new volume so much. And I love that we're getting like the next iteration of that through this. I mean, not that I thought that we would necessarily ignore the history of that story in Gang War here, but like it's it's just great to kind of see us build on that. I think what Zeb has done with the whole, you know, Janice, Randy, Tombstone, Robbie dynamic you know, based on, you know, kind of building on what Nick Spencer did in, in his run has really been a stroke of genius. I feel like this is inspired stuff to kind of elevate these characters in a way that maybe, you know, in the last volume, not that it was a punchline, but like it definitely kind of felt like when all this stuff was introduced, like 
Randy's dating the supervillain. Like, ha ha, you know what I mean? Like, oh, what 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 kind of hijinks will come out of this? And now it's like, no, this is like, you know, this there is some real emotional stuff going on here with all these characters, not just, you know, Randy and and Janice. So um, you know, I I I'm just thrilled to see these characters taking these steps and growing and 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 Spider-Man kind of having to face this alliance again, I'm sure very unwillingly. All credit to Zeb Wells. Like he took a lot of storylines that like were kind of unfinished by Nick Spencer and has really run with them and done wonderful things with them. I dare say his best stories are the ones that are playing piggyback to what came before, which is kind of like historically how Spider-Man worked, you know, like, and so like, uh, I, I just appreciate that we're like kind of just continuing to build, you know, whether it be like clone Craven, you know, like he did something interesting with that, like, or it be like Ned Leeds not being dead. He did something interesting with that. Like, you know, the Janice thing as well. Like uh, we're, we're really seeing a lot of these being taken to interesting places that, and, and, and fairly logical ones, I would say. So a lot of, a lot of credit to him, you know, and you mentioned the kind of scope of this thing, you know, so early on, like, but the moment where like uh, Tombstone wakes up in like the hospital next to Robbie and Randy and Robbie's like, go look out the window and you see the flames reflected in Tombstone's eyes. Like, you know, uh, like uh, watching, you know, what I guess he probably saw as a potential empire of his burning. I, I thought I found really powerful in terms of communicating the, the scope of this whole thing. I also wanted to point out to, to Zeb's credit, you know, there's a throwaway moment in this issue where Janice references Diamondback's territory and that he brought in drugs from Hydra. And like, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it later, but like there are so many little details throughout this run that have been paid off that you, that are blinking and miss him. Like if you go back to issue 31, the marriage issue during the bachelor party, they break up a drug deal White Rabbit, you know, mentioned some new players are coming into town and, you know, they, you know, Tombstone would have had us break up this deal anyway or whatever. And, and it's like, oh yeah, that was the drugs that were coming in from Diamondback and Hydra. And it's like, wow, what an amazing little detail that is of no consequence but makes this world feel very whole and all the stories really matter. And, and speaking of which, why don't we talk a little bit about Madam Mask and speaking of letting people cook, I think I'm going to let you cook here because let me tell you folks, uh, Dan and I were texting a little bit before we hopped on the computer tonight and he's he noticed some stuff and he's got some theories. I should just let Professor Gavazdan get the, get, get the board out, right? What's, what's happening here? <laughs> Well, I mean, like I, 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 you know, I'm, I, you know, what I say, I'm not one to speculate. I am one to speculate, but, um, you know, this reveal already happened, right? Like Madame Mask, it was Hammerhead's girlfriend, you know, but like immediately the first image we get of her here is her face being obscured again. You know, like it's not as like overt as like. I'm the green goblin putting on my mask, you know, under Dicko's pen and it being blocked by a, you know, an inauspicious doorway. But like we saw the girlfriend's face and I, I guess I commented last episode, like if it is Madame mask and, and again, I might not be up on my Madame mask history. I thought her face was damaged and that's why she wore a mask. So like maybe she had a mask on pretending to be the girlfriend. I don't know how these things work. It did seem odd to me 
that like we're deliberately not showing her face in that opening sequence. And so then it asked me the question, like, why, why are we not seeing it? You know? So the question, you know, immediately I go to, okay, so if we're not seeing her face, but we saw it before when she was tombstones or sorry, hammerheads girlfriend, was that not actually her face? Was that a mask? Okay. And then, you know, it says like, why, why be coy about it now? You know, like what, what, what does that gain us? And then that suggestion says like, well then maybe this isn't Madam mask. Could someone else be, you know, manipulating things further? And I don't think it would be above Zeb Wells to pull a double switcheroo, given that like, we know he's someone keen on doing switcheroos already in this run, which then gets back to the male figure that we saw was it in the end of first strike where we saw that? No, I think it was the end of 38, like the, the, the 38, the, the, the coda right. of that with, um, with the purple boots we're talking about. Right. Right. So some random figure shows up and takes out count Nefaria and Silvermane. It looks like a male figure. I mean, it's very masculine in its drawing. And, you know, we had talked about green goblin and, you know, like maybe chameleon or something like that, you know, and, Given the level of detail that Zeb is showing in other things, like, for example, here we go down, like she, she, I'm going to call it Madame Mass, drags Hammerhead down the stairs and we see the outside of the building, which appears to be like a church, I guess. And it's the same location that we saw in the end of issue 38. We, there was a stained glass window. So it's the same place, which means those silhouetted figures in this issue, I think are clearly Silvermane and Count Nefaria. And last uh, in first strike, when Madame Mass took out Hammerhead, she comments that she's using a like an, an adamantium femur. And in 38, it's established that that or maybe it's 37 that Silvermane got a new adamantium laced body. So she clearly now we can put the pieces together. The femur is clearly, you know, Silvermane's femur that she used to beat him with. Okay, so everything's pointing it to Madame Mask beat up them, blah, 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 blah. So then why hide it and why have a very clearly male figure there? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. Whether that's Green Goblin or it's Chameleon or whatever, like it does suggest that maybe there is another mystery here. I'm not putting all of them, like it could be just that it's, you know, as appears, but the not showing the face and the male figure is weird. Do you agree with me on that? Oh, one hundred percent. I don't disagree with any of that. I just like I'm 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 chuckling because it's you know we're 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 still gonna mystery box this whether we want to or not. You know, like it, like like this this could very easily just be a straight up story of a lot of warring villains and heroes stuck in the middle trying to keep people safe. We're going to we're going to mystery box this to a degree. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, like if I, I don't feel what I will say just in terms of my own opinions on this approach. Like, I don't I don't know at this point whether or not it is what it you know, whether a cigar being a cigar, just a cigar or not, like truly impacts the the this story as much, you know what I mean? Like, does it, does it, I guess for me, like, does it matter whether it's Madame Mask or someone else? I guess it just depends on what the reveal ends up being. But like, I, I also don't feel like the mystery of it 
in and of itself is essential to appreciating the action here. Whereas I feel like some prior mystery boxes and mystery villains, you know, kind of trying to play the game becomes part, you know, essential part of reading the comics. Anyway, I I agree with that a hundred percent. And I think the trick here, if it is a mystery box is to not label it as such. Like it's not, it's not asking you to ask that question. If it is, it's doing it. Like I I said, in a very like coy way, it's like, we're not going to show you Madame Mask's face. And most people will go, Oh, well that's just an attribute of Madame Mask's. And I think that that's how he threw us off in the first arc was we didn't know we were looking for a redirect, you know, and yet it was all there. Whereas like in the rec rap arc, we knew there was a mystery and it just wasn't satisfying in any way because one, if you really thought about it, you could solve it immediately. And two, it ended up adding up to nothing. This one could still add up to nothing, but it seems to me like there is a sly mystery maybe going on in the background of this comic. Yeah, for sure. The, the only other thing I just want to kind of add to this section here, and we kind of talked about this in first in our first strike review as well. It's like, man, is like Madame Mask or whoever is it, 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 the character here. I mean, they're they're definitely like whistling past the graveyard with the with the hammerhead stuff. I mean, as brutal as that whole sequences of her like tr- kind of you know dragging hammerhead up and down the stairs, you know, it's like, like, dude, like. Just kill him already. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah, put the poor guy out of his misery. Well, but, but, but that's yeah. the thing. Is it put it out of his misery or you're like, are you inviting trouble? Like, like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, Bond villain level of like, just shut up and kill him. Stop like keeping him around because this is going to blow up in your face, lady. Uh, I, I, I just don't see how this doesn't come back to, to boomerang her in some way. It just Well, I mean, going back to 1980s tradition, like you've got to at least like own almost kill hammerhead in all of these stories uh you know like first he was a ghost then then he almost died now he's almost dead i mean this guy like needs to learn a lesson about engaging in these battles but um they never really end up with him out uh ahead if you will oh hi um, uh, all right well okay mark what'd you what'd you give this one for a grade uh, i'm giving this a b plus I, I i enjoyed it a lot not quite as much as first strike but like this is this is a really good uh issue of amazing spider-man what about you i think this is an a minus it doesn't have the like internal monologue of spider-man and the big you know moral punch uh, but like, man, did I feel like I was just as engaged in this ongoing story. So A minus for me. Great. Well, Dan, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning into this episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, and as always, this podcast exists because of the listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, less than any issue of the gang war that we're about to read, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the very same week that the comics release. So if you feel like these reviews really enhance your reading of the comic that much, why not throw some bucks our way and help Mark and I do what we do even longer. It's, it's, it's the holiday time, you know, like time to, 
time to like show some love to the things that you care about. But anyway, even if you can't afford uh, to, to chip in, we do thank you for your listenership. But a special thank you to everyone who already supports us in the work that we do. Uh, to download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like J.M. DeMatteis, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, David Michelini, and more, subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This podcast episode was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Busema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. And as a special reminder, don't forget to subscribe to our brand new Amazing Spider Talk Substack. That's amazingspider.substack.com. We're going to be covering all of Gang War on our Substack. So if you want to know about all the adventures that the characters left this comic to go on and our thoughts on them, we're covering it all in our Substack. Again, that's amazing Spider substack.com it's absolutely free and a lot of fun so mark until we reveal that we've been podcasting all these years without pants what's our motto i mean who could tell man with great podcasts there must also come the amazing spider talk don't, don't miss the next